to another episode of NAMI OC's Declassified Anxiety Survival Guide. Uh, we just wanted to throw a quick disclaimer before we get into today's episode. Um, we have a couple potentially triggering topics we'll be going over, such as depression, suicide ideation, and eating disorders. Uh, if any of this may be triggering for you, please take care of yourself first and skip this episode. If you are in need to talk with someone, please call our OC warm line at 714-991-6412. Or if you feel like you are in a crisis, please call the Dee Dee Hirsch Suicide Prevention Hotline at one 800 2738255. We'll also be linking these in our resources in our show notes down below. So you can just click and chat with someone if you need it. Um, But with that, let's get on to today's episode. So on today's episode, we will be joined by Shivani and she'll be sharing her personal journey and how we can be there for our loved ones who may be struggling. Um, So Shivani, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to talk today. Thank you for joining us. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, today's like topic, like I said, is uh, how to provide emotional support. So if you kind of just want to get into your story a bit and then we can just go from there, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So um, my story is, is kind of an interesting one of how I fell into mental health. Um, I was actually diagnosed with a chronic illness, type 1 diabetes, when I was about a year and a half years old. Um, and, and honestly, growing up, I didn't really think too much of it. I never really had issues um, because my parents really took like the absolute best care of me. Um, and so I never even thought twice about what it was like to live with a chronic illness um, because they took care of everything, like every step of the way. And then when I was about probably in like fourth or fifth grade, I want to say, my doctors decided, hey, you know, it's probably time that we kind of get Shivani um, taking care of herself, right? Like getting her on a path to take care of herself. Um, And so I remember, you know, I had this like really big meeting with like all my doctors, my care team, dietitians, everybody um, went to the hospital and kind of got a crash course. in diabetes self-management and it's crazy because it was like they ripped out a page from a book called diabetes for dummies and released this young kid into the wild and i mean i i still shake my head at the thought of it now because not much has changed today the care that a person with a diagnosis receives has not really improved so much Um, we're still left clueless about how to deal with all of this especially the the mental health aspect. So in my opinion, the behavior that a diabetic is encouraged to develop by most endocrinologists ends up mimicking an eating disorder um, with a a few differences. So one, instead of counting calories closely, we obsessively count carbohydrates. Anytime we're Mm -hmm. looking to eat something, we gotta count those carbohydrates. And instead of looking at a number on a scale, We're looking at a number on our uh, glucose meter several times a day. So whenever we divert from the serving size that our dietitian or doctor recommends, we start to feel this guilt and this shame. Um, And then we're not really taught how to explore the feelings we have when our numbers are not within range. Um, For myself, it can ruin my entire day um, if I'm not shown how to deal with these because those blood sugars affect my mood. Um, And so we begin to feel pretty bad about ourselves um, because we begin to equate these 
blood sugar numbers with whether or not we are good or bad diabetics when in fact we're really just doing the best we can with what we know and what we've been taught. So I personally struggled with an eating disorder associated with um, major depressive disorder and omitting my insulin for about three years. And I'll be honest, I never knew that it even was an eating disorder. I just knew internally what I was doing was very wrong. Um, I discovered later that there was actually a name for it because a lot of diabetics go through it and it's uh, known as diabolemia. Um, omitting insulin to was kind of this like dark and heavy secret. Um, once I decided to tell someone about what I was doing, it was freeing. Um, I no longer had to keep this shame and guilt inside about what I was doing, um, but it was a long road. It was, it was not linear. I stumbled countless of times. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm glad that I got, a, that I got to have that journey. Um, I worked so hard to get to a point where I wouldn't do it again. Um, but I do remember that there were small moments where, you know, people would come to me and it was, it was from a place of, I guess, kindness and, and genuineness. Um, but the delivery was always wrong, almost. Um, I remember if I didn't have a safe space in school to, to check my sugars or to give myself insulin, I would have to do it in public, um, which meant that my peers or classmates or even friends would kind of crowd around me, ask what I was doing, what does this number mean? Can I watch you give yourself a shot? Um, and again, it all came from a place of they were curious and, and, and they wanted to know but at the time, it only served to make me feel like more of an other um, or feel different than everybody else. Um, it eventually snowballed um, and you know, my, my major depressive disorder kind of took on, a, a, turned into a huge monster. Um, and I remember um, I just felt so much shame and, and guilt about not being able to take care of my 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 sugar level numbers, so I stopped taking my insulin. Um, within two days of that, I um, ended up in the hospital. Um, it was pretty quickly, you know, realized, hey, she's she stopped taking her insulin, what's going on? Um, and then I had to talk to a number of mental health professionals, of doctors, of nurses, of EMTs, of, of everybody talking about everything that I was going through. Um, and there were some good experiences. There were some bad experiences with those conversations. Um, so I'm excited to, to kind of talk about those mm -hmm. today. Um, and really, as we're going, I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk about this topic because in sharing this, my hope is that, you know, we start listening to each other's stories and experiences, not only by listening to, to my story within the diabetes community. Yeah, yeah, yeah but listening to everybody in the world because you know we all fight our own battles and we all deserve to be heard and i know mm -hmm. you know you might ask yourself well how can someone claim to know the needs wants or struggles of a community that they aren't even a part of right mm -hmm. um and i think that's why it is imperative to listen because no two stories are the same and for me my my diabetes my mental health uh, my eating disorder all of these things are kind of like a math equation where they have an endless amount of variables. 
So I have to work day in and day out to try and come up with the best solution that's right for me. Um, I have internal struggles that I fight and sometimes I'm often hesitant to openly talk about them because mm -hmm. I'm scared of, of people thinking I might be complaining or that I'm weak. Um, but there are a lot of good people out there with an open mind who are very accepting and eager to listen and learn. Um, it's commonly said that everything happens for a reason and it took me years to discover that reason. If someone had told me, you know, when I was a little kid that I was gonna have a lifetime of doctor visits to the point where I considered the hospital a second home, I might've just given up right then and there. But over the years, I started changing my mindset of thinking diabetes was a burden and started viewing it as a blessing because I realized that rock bottom can teach you lessons that mountaintops never will. Um, so diabetes prepared me for hardship. It taught me to push through my hardest days to find strength when I needed it the most, um, you know, and really forced me to become the best version of myself. Um, it taught me to count my blessings just as frequently as I count my carbs. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think it's just important that we have these conversations with not just physical illnesses, but mental illnesses, right? Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to, to support, for me, like I said before, I think the best thing is just to listen. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Such a good story. Um, like yeah. just so well-spoken. I just like so well-spoken. Um, and the thing you just said, I think was just like mountaintops won't teach you as much as like rock bottom well, or whatever, however beautifully well you put that, um, <laughs> is I snapped. Like that was just so good. Uh, cause I do think there's just so much truth in that. And, um, cause sometimes you have to like see the lows before you can kind of get to the highs. Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for sharing your story and being open to sharing your story with mm -hmm. others. Uh, I feel like what stood out to me is like when, as a kid, I mean, trying to learn all that, I mean, it's a lot. I feel like at that point, you're still like figuring out how to just take care of yourself regularly. Now you have this, but did, with it, you were saying like, you know, you're, you're studying these numbers. I mean, did you ever have to get a sense of like fear with it? And, and do you think like that was something that potentially led to that? Like, cause I feel like the, seeing numbers would, I think, terrify me all day. I would be yeah, so me nervous. Too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> oh yeah. No, a hundred percent. And I think that was one of the, the wrong things to do, um, coming from, you know, not just my support system, but from like the medical field, right? Was that there was such a focus on, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you should not do. This is what you shouldn't be doing. These are the numbers you shouldn't be seeing because, you know, if you have these high numbers, you're going to end up in the hospital. If you have these high numbers, this is what's going to happen. Right. Um, so it was always a focus on what not to do and, and the wrong thing, but there was never a, a, a positive aspect to that. Um, so I never really got a chance to hear the, you know, here's, you know, your sugar number could be 300, which is not good, but here's how you can correct it and how you can recover from that, right? There is no kind of step-by-step -step process, um, which I think is something that should be developed, like across the board for, for all illnesses, right? I mean, I think about like moments of depression. Um, if I'm suffering from a depressive order um, or a depressive period, I think, okay, you know, there's all these guides about what to do. Um, 
And so there should be kind of a step-by-step process of, Mm -hmm. you know, here's how, here's how you can help yourself. Here's how to get out of this period. um, And here's what you should do. Right. So not focusing too much on the negative, but also Mm -hmm. turning it around and looking at the positive steps to recovery after that. So yeah, it was, it was terrifying because I would see these high numbers and I wouldn't want to talk to them because there weren't any avenues of conversation or there wasn't established conversations about how to positively have these conversations, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, cause I, I definitely feel like with a lot of those, it can easily go into that realm of fear of like, we're trying to make it so important that you don't do this, that it's almost terrifying. And then, yeah, as, especially as a kid, I mean, how do you, how do you say like, Oh, I I didn't do it right today. When you have this notion of, if you don't do it right, then it's wrong. And what's wrong is bad and scary. So Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think to have these guides, like we have for mental health of, you know, here's how to work your way through things. Um, you know, it's needed in, in that sense as well with our health. I mean, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have off days or, or, you know, something's not going to go right. And then you're in the wrong and it may be something completely out of our control. Um, you know, how to positively go about it instead of being scared about it. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and I think what's, what's great about what you said, Amanda, is there is a guide for like, here's how to recover if you're having a depressive episode. But what's hard is there's not a guide for family members. No, there, no. there's no guide for like, hey, if your loved one is going through depression, here's how their path of recovery should go. Yeah. You know, there's not like a, and here's how you support them through that. It's mm-hmm. really yeah. hard, I think. So it was hard for my family, for sure. Um, because yes, I was going through it and, and I was having a difficult time, but also for my family member on the other side, they didn't really know what to expect or what was going on. So I think that was right. kind of the, the difficult part of, of this whole journey. Yeah. Is uh, there, or if, okay. So if looking back, is there any, I guess, would you, is there any advice you would have of maybe somebody going through something similar to you, what you went through um, of what their family members or friends should have maybe said to them just because they might just might not know what to say. Like, was there something that you wish you heard while you were going through all of that? Oh yeah, uh, a ton actually. And hopefully, I'm not talking too much when I go. <laughs> oh, <through>. you're good. <laughs> like I have so much advice. Where do I start? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, first, I, I like to think of of um, at least for me, it was kind of like I like to think of it as a dark room. Someone gave me this analogy of depression, and I always use it now, um, where it was like all the things that were going on with me. It was like sitting in my room in the dark. Um, I knew where my light switch is, right? In my room, I ob- like I can go mm-hmm. to the restroom in the middle of the night, navigate my room completely fine, not hit anything. So I know where the light switch is in my room. I know how to turn it on. I don't need someone coming into my room to tell me to turn on the light or to even turn on the light for me. What I really needed was someone to sit and wait with me in the dark until I was ready to stand up and turn the light on myself. And so I think what's what's the biggest thing that that family members can do is just be there, be there mm-hmm. and listen. Um, because I think what was just hard was just feeling like I I couldn't share things with anybody because mm-hmm. there was this overwhelming feeling of guilt and shame. So the whole time I just kept thinking I'm going to be such a disappointment to to my family or I'm going to be such a yeah. disappointment to my doctors or or whoever it was. 
um, when in reality, it was just that there had been no conversations beforehand saying, you know, this is what failure might look like. And that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. we're still going to be here for you no matter what. So being there to be to listen and then also to let your family know, regardless of what happens, we are here for you. Doesn't matter yeah. whatever you're thinking, we still love you and we still want to support you through it. Mm -hmm. The worst thing, I, I never felt as low or as small um, when uh, when I got yelled at by my parents. When they were angry at me, I, I could go through that no problem. Yeah. It was when they were disappointed. That's mm -hmm. when, yeah. ooh, knife to the gut or to yeah, the yeah, heart, yeah, yeah. you know, where I was like, oh man, that's the worst feeling in the world. So yeah, it was just that that guilt, you know, that, mm -hmm. that yeah. uh, that was hard to deal yeah. with. I think like one of the hardest things as you were saying too, is, is knowing how as a loved one, how to be there to help. Cause you know, there is that overwhelming sense of like, I want to just do everything in my absolute power to help you, to fix you. And mm -hmm. usually I feel like it's that fixing where you're like, I can't tell you how to fix this right now. Like you just need to ride the ride with me and, and, and be here along the way. But I feel like that's always the hardest part is, is putting into words how, how they can fix you. And you're like, I don't yeah. know, I don't know what it is right now, but I just need the support until I figure out what, what that looks like. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And and I'm guilty of that as well. I'm always the person who's like, I want to fix the situation. I want to fix the person, but um, you know, it's taken time for me to understand. Yeah. That people, people inherently know, you know, maybe how to fix themselves or, or, or how to do things, but I have to trust them, right? Because I know that they can do that. I know that they're capable of doing that. So for me, I have to realize, you know, there are a couple of things I, I try not to do. Um, I never try to diagnose or second guess or diagnosis. Um, so if someone comes to me and says, you know, I was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, um, I never try to to say otherwise or, or talk about their diagnosis because I'm not a medical expert. Um, and so I don't want to second guess their their diagnosis. Um, you know, things that I like to do is not just offer like resources or support, but walk them through it because that's a good way that yeah. you can help them. Um, you know, I, I've noticed that when it comes to calling a hotline, for example, I can give the number out as much as I want. Um, but to really get someone to call, I can sit down with them and help mm -hmm. them call. Cause it's usually like a fear of the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm scared about what I'm going to hear on the other end of this call. So instead of just calling them and, and getting that support, I'm just going to ignore it, not have that anxiety about calling and just never talk to someone about it. Um, yeah. so saying, you know, like, Hey, I understand things have been really hard for you can I help you call this hotline or can I go with you to your therapy session? Mm -hmm. You know, things like that where you can just, again, it's all about just being there for them. Um, sometimes you don't have to say anything, just your physical presence can kind of help keep someone grounded. Um, and another thing that I always like to do is push for self-care. So talking about self-care all the time, you know, um, if, if someone is going through like a, a heavy period, you know, just kind of pushing hey, let's practice some self-care. Like, let's eat a healthy lunch today. Let's try to get a full night's sleep today. Let's go on a walk or let's go get our nails done. You know, something that they'll enjoy um, mm -hmm. that can kind of help get them out of, the, of that, you know, potentially low period that they're going through. Yeah, it's, it's all 
fantastic advice for others. And a lot of it is just being with the person. Um, but especially like with those hotline numbers, I mean, it's, it's a scary thing, especially if you've never called one before, you don't know what to expect. I, I know we talked in our, one of our last later episodes of just that fear of making phone calls. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a real, it's a real thing. Um, but having that person just sitting there with you to provide that comfort and support, I mean, that speaks volumes and they, you, you don't even have to say anything. You're just being there with them in that moment to go, Hey, I'm, I'm here for you. And whatever happens after this, um, I was, I'll go for it. Go for it. Sorry. (laughs) I was like, I, I feel like with myself, like when I, you know, when I'm in periods of, of when I'm struggling, just the fear fact of like my fiance being there with me in the room, doesn't even need to say anything. And he just goes, I'm here. If you want to talk, if you want to do anything, you just need to let me know, but I'm right here for you. And that's usually all that I need in that moment. Cause most of the time it, it gets overwhelming. If you're like, if he's like, what can I do? What happened? What, where like, I can't, I can't hold on. <laughs> I need to work through it first and then I'll come to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. hundred percent. I get so like snappy with, with my partner when he's like, how do I fix it? What can I do? Tell me what I need to do. I'm like, you don't need to do anything, but just be there. Because mm-hmm. to be honest, yeah. I haven't thought about how I need to fix the situation. I need to like get through the anxiety of the situation yes. first before I think about fixing it. You know? Yes. So yeah, a hundred percent. It's all about listening. Um, yeah. Like I said, you know, it's just about listening to, to each other's stories and, and getting to know the person and their struggles. Um, because sometimes it's just hard to talk about them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it really is just being there. Just being yeah. there. Yeah. I was going to say like when I had, or when I was doing the peer mentoring, um, one of the people I was talking to struggled a lot. They would need to call like a warm line or a hotline or something. And they ended up actually liking the warm line better. It wasn't as like scary because sometimes the hotline will answer more of like, you know, for a crisis situation. And it's not necessarily they were in crisis, just more they needed someone to talk to and help them through it. But um, they were very outspoken and just kind of saying that having someone there in the room with them, making the phone call with them, not like really saying anything, but just like being there, I guess, was the only way they could make the call um because there was someone there like listening in and like just being the supportive like moral support that they needed um which I thought it's kind of it was interesting to me to learn that because like some people are very like I want to be alone during this I want to and I think people kind of cave in into like their room and close the door and want to just be alone with their thoughts but sometimes that's maybe not the healthiest way to go about situations like that Mm -hmm. um and because sometimes they just won't even ask for a person to help or like ask a person to be there because um, they don't really know how to or they feel uncomfortable reaching out. They feel like there's a there's another like factor of guilt in that being like, I don't want to put this on you, but, you know, stuff like that. But um, it was interesting to hear that just having a person there just for them to make a call to a warm line was all what they needed. Oh, yeah. And I, I like the the idea where you said, you know, they're not going to ask for help because absolutely. I mean, when I was going through it, I was like 14, 15 at like my worst periods. Um, and I would have absolutely not asked anybody for help. Um, yeah. I would have been way too scared. Um, 
and and I would have pushed this this narrative of I'm okay, you know, don't help me, I'm good, I got it. Even though internally I was like hardcore panic mode um, yeah. about everything that was going on, but instead of taking my word for it, you know, a lot of friends and family said, you know, we noticed that you were going through something, but because you said that you were fine, we just left it at it as is. But mm -hmm. um, what could have been done is even just, you know because I would spend, you know, a long period of time just like locked up in, in, in my space or my room. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of just, you know, trusting me and saying, even though my gut says she's not okay, because she says she is, I'm gonna leave it. Like trust your gut as a mm -hmm. family member, yeah. trust your gut as a friend and still go into that room and say, you know, you say you're okay, but is it okay if I just sit here for a little bit and, and we can just spend some time together? Can I, can I put a movie on in this room and we can, you don't have to pay attention, but I just want to sit with you and watch it. Yeah. You know, yeah like yeah. even that probably would have been so much more of a help for me because um, I think it would have given me the strength to kind of eventually say, hey, you know how you asked me if I was okay earlier? Um, actually, I'm not. Yeah. Right. But it's that initial fear that we push people away. Mm -hmm. like, instinctively, my response is, oh, no, 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 I'm okay. I don't need help. I'm good. I'm good. Um, but once, again, once someone says, but I don't know if you are you know, can, can I help? That usually mm -hmm. is a signal for me saying, Hey, this person just wants to help. And even if they sit with you, that might make you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. It, and that's the biggest, I think thing that even we're like constantly taught within this field is trust your gut. I mean, you, you know, your family, your friends, your loved ones, you know, when something's not quite right. I mean, we may not fully know the full picture. We only get the little tip of that iceberg, but you, you have that sense. And our gut is, is a pretty strong indicator of, you know, how, how others ourselves even are doing. So always, always listen to your gut. I mean, you know, when something's off, um, but I like that. Yeah. You don't have to sit there and like, you know, shake them and go, tell me, I know it's not right. Yeah. Just <laughs> easing it. I mean, they will come to you when they feel open and comfortable. And the best way they'll do that is by knowing you are a safe place. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to push stuff on them, but you're going, Hey, I'm here. I'm here. I am here. I am here. Mm -hmm. And so they can't know. And they have that constant reminder that you are here. That's the biggest thing in, in all of this is you know, that they will eventually come, come to you. At least yeah. that's the hope just to show them do little acts and, and be, be a listening ear. I mean, that's, that's, that's the biggest part of, of not just going, Oh yeah. How are you doing today? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, pushing them and, and moving past it. It's going, no, I really want to know how you're doing. I really want to know what's going on with you and showing that intense interest or just, uh, more so than this is just a, a I don't know what you're on autopilot, the autopilot. Hello. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But really showing that you want to know how they're actually doing. I mean, that's, that's always big. Yeah. yeah. And I think what's, what we have a tendency to do is um, we always think lower of ourselves and, and how much people love us, you know? So Amanda, you were saying, you know, like instinctively we push people away. And I think it's because we, we fear that, you know, if I tell someone what's going on, they're not going to love me or they're not going to care for me anymore. And I don't want to push people away, right? So I'm going to keep them close and not to burden them with, with things that I'm going through. Um, so if someone is pushing you away or they're not willing to share, just know that it's not necessarily you. 
right? That, it, yeah. that you're not, it's not saying that you're the problem, but that this person may just kind of be testing you a little bit, or, or they may just be scared. But mm -hmm. just like you said, Amanda, by just saying, you know, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here and showing them, you know, by little acts or, or doing what you can to show them, hey, no matter what, I'm still going to be here for you. That can eventually take away that like, that barrier, you know, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and create that, that safety net for them to feel like, okay, well, you know, oh, Brianna and Amanda have, have been saying, you know, that they're here and they're always ready to listen to me. You know, this is the fifth time they're asking me. Maybe now I do feel comfortable. Maybe now I will share with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's really weird that our brains kind of make us feel like when somebody says like, "Oh, we're here for you," you you still want to like suppress your emotions. Because I do this more than anything else. And one of my best friends, she told me a few months ago, she was like, "Brand, you suppress your emotions more than anyone I know. Like, you have to like, like you have to like state what what." you're feeling in order for people to help you. Cause I was like trying to figure out this whole situation. And she was like, your problem is that you just won't let people know. And you like, you won't communicate those, you know, feelings. And she's like, it's fine. It's not like, I'm not trying to pressure you and putting them um, like making you state those, but just, you know, it's just so weird that we feel that we can't tell people what's going on when most people are kind of feeling the same exact way. And I don't know if that's like societal issues or world problems or whatever but it's just like it is so interesting to me that like we just have this fear of telling people like the true our true selves when like that's when you really do find the closest connections and like the people who really will help you through all of that oh yeah 100 mm -hmm. and i'm the same way and i mean i'm i'm living proof that that is not the way to go because i just kept bottling everything up inside until i did try to take my own life and it had gotten to that point where I was like, wow, if I would have just talked to someone about this, yeah. and shared, I probably would have been so much better. Yeah. 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 Um, it's just, it's just so weird how our brains like make us think that we can't say things or, you know, and yeah, there's like that whole guilt factor of like, you feel like you're burdening people with, um, you know, your feelings and all this stuff, but sometimes you just have to let it out in some way or, or another um, and that will just like help the situation just in that itself. Um, yeah. I remember like when I was a, when I was a freshman in high school, I took this, like we had to take a health class, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, um, like in the textbook, it, it was like, if you have depressed, like if you're depressed, like you will see these like very, very obvious like symptoms. Yeah. And it's like, this is just so not like how, it can be because some people will just hide it and you know they just won't say anything and they'll just and I just thought it was so like now looking back I think it's just so messed up that that's what they're like teach I don't know if that's still how they teach it because that was a while ago but like that was how they taught you know trying to find someone who has depression or some type of mental illness and it's like it's way more complex than just like seeing the very very basic obvious symptoms um, and so I just like, when I was in high school, I wish that I had more resources to like help me through whatever I needed help with because they, no one really ever said anything. And so until I got to college is when I really realized I was like, wow, I do have anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And like, it, it's interesting because as I've looked more into like symptoms of depression or what it is, I didn't realize that so much of it is, is not just the sadness. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Even when I was, so when I, when I had like, um, 
you know, when I was in the, in the depths of my depression, I always had a lot of like rage and like unexplained mm -hmm. anger. And I had no idea. I mean, I found out later, yeah, again, yeah, college <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on it, not during the time, but yeah, I ended up finding out that rage is a common symptom in depression. Yeah. Like who would have ever thought? I, just I thought, know. I was like, this is regular puberty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope, nope. I was actually going through it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like that's the most also so confusing about it all is when you're because you have that aspect on top of it. It's like you're going through puberty, so it's like oh, you're just going through your rebellious teenage phase. Like it will pass, you know. And so it just gets so comp complicated trying to like figure out what's like going wrong, like going on with you. Um, I don't know. It's just so it's just too crazy sometimes to just like say black and white this is what you have and like this is the way to help someone because like that textbook answer did not help me <laughs> through anything I never do it's yeah awful. i hate textbooks yeah uh, <laughs> they just they, don't work college they don't stop assigning them let's just stop assigning them yeah exactly um, exactly yeah it's it's hard and and i think too like um i was i already had this chronic illness and then mm -hmm. um no one even told me right that this illness that I was going to have, you know, different blood sugar levels were going to affect my mood. So right. no one told me, hey, you know, by the way, when you're when you have a really low sugar, you might feel really tired and exhausted and you might mm -hmm. feel like more emotional. Um, you know, you might feel a little bit extra sad. You might be feeling extra stressed, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas on the other side, when you're feeling really high, you might feel extra hyperactive. You might not be able to focus clearly. You might be more rageful or more excited. Um, mm -hmm. You're more quick to, to snap and, and switch emotions. Um, so all the stuff that I was going through, I had no idea that there was an actual explanation for it. Right. Um, but nobody told me. Nobody told me that yeah. this is what to expect. And so, um, but that's the thing with a lot of mental health issues, right? Like, you don't know that it's a mental health issue until you're diagnosed. So yeah. going through the symptoms, you just think, is there something wrong with me? Is yeah, there, yeah, yeah. You know, like, what's going on? So then you yeah. don't want to tell anybody like, hey, I've been feeling a little bit like extra angry or extra sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we talk about it? Should I go see a therapist for it? Because a lot of times, yeah, it could just be that, oh, I think I'm just overreacting. Right, right, right. Um, which is, it's. Yeah, that's another weird thing about just having mental illnesses is because it's not like physical pain. I mean, it, it can be painful, like going through whatever you're going through, but it's not like physical pains, like a broken arm. You're like, oh, look, I have a broken arm. Like I got to go get it fixed. You know, they don't have like these explanations that would give you all the answers that you want. So you, I feel like people just tend to hide from it and they just will they'll be like, oh, I'll blame it on family problems or I'll blame it on this. I am, I'm going through this right now. And, uh, which is sad that that's like how we kind of been like that's just how we are and that's kind of how we're rewired so we'll just like blame it on other things rather than trying to go seek help but sometimes you know I feel like there's just always a point where you realize you do need help and sometimes it can be worse for others than not um so it's just trying to like find the perfect timing of all of that into getting that help um but it can be it's so difficult it's so difficult trying to like figure it all out <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, again, it's it's hard even as a family member, you mm -hmm. know, because this person is suffering and you want to help them so much and you love them. And you're just like, how do I do it? What do I do? How do I start? Right, right. Um, 
and and it, yeah it, it really is just hard and I mean we keep saying that it's hard it's difficult yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's it like is. no right way to answer yeah right yeah not enough it. words <laughs> I know yeah there really isn't but um you know one thing that I that I like to do as as a like as a family member to someone who might mm -hmm. be struggling too is um keeping questions open-ended so instead of like you know how are you today where they might answer like oh i'm fine or i'm cool yeah. i'm good um you know i say why don't you tell me how you're feeling today um so giving mm. them like that opportunity to say okay well you know i'm feeling this way and i'm feeling this way because of this or because of that because I think when I ask them to tell me why they're feeling the way that they're feeling, they can kind of explore, you know, wait, why am I feeling stressed more than usual? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it work? Is it because of school? Is it because of, you know, what happened? Yeah. Um, so I think that that always helps to um, just keep things open and open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely think like language is a big part of that and just saying the right things because we say, we say so many things every day, like, how are you doing today? Or just hello, you know, and it, most people just like, they don't really think about it. But when you like really ask them, like, why are you feeling this way? Or, you know, you switch it up a little bit, then it kind of catches them off guard. And then it does make them like, feel that they have like now an outlet, they could be like, oh, this person like really wants to know, um, I can actually explore why I'm feeling this way, which is definitely, I think a big part of it. And definitely think we should that it's still changing and evolving like every single day but just getting better at that getting getting better at the language yeah and that's one thing that i we really should like focus on is mm -hmm. is language and that was a big thing for me was there was so much negative language and like i said it, it would come from a positive place like like my my friends who would you know they would ask to to see my numbers and see my see me mm -hmm. see me giving myself insulin you know hey can we watch you give yourself a shot and and yeah it came from a place of just you know them wanting to know and and you know because they loved me and, and they wanted to know everything they could to support me yeah uh, but by framing it in that way it was a way to kind of further that that narrative that i had in my head that i wasn't normal or that yeah I, yeah yeah, I yeah. different and so it, it really is about approach, right? And, and language. So instead of, you know, bringing attention on the, on the otherness or the disease, right? What could have been done is, you know, a friend could have pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, um, I noticed that you had to give yourself a shot in public today. Um, next time, if you want, I can stand in front of you so that you could do that. And we could talk a yeah. little bit more about you know, about why you had to give yourself insulin or why you had to give a shot, um, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing, because I think that would have been easier. Yeah. yeah but yeah. by drawing attention on it, it was like, oh my God, now the whole world is looking at me. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Panicking because there's so many people looking and staring mm -hmm. and asking me questions that it made me nervous. Yeah. 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 Totally. And I think that's, that's a, a job we have as family members, um, not just for little ones, but even for like the adult members in our family. You know, if you come a, if you come into contact with someone who has a an illness, whether it's it manifests in a physical way or not, but not drawing attention to it, right? Like this, yeah. the same way we wouldn't point out at someone who has mobility issues, right? We 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 just acknowledge it as like, okay, this is a normal thing. This person has a mobility issue. I'm not going to draw attention to it. Um, you know, it's okay to ask questions, but to do it in a way that's that's respectful, right? And then kind yeah. of 
um, private almost, I think mm -hmm. is always a good idea. So if you do have questions or you are curious, um, you know, just ask a question. And I think the same goes for mental illness. It's a little bit harder because of course, mental illness is internal, right? We don't yeah. see it. It's not like yeah, someone yeah. wears a giant hat once they get diagnosed with depression that says, hey, I have major depressive disorder. Right. <laughs> um, so we never know what someone could be going through, but you know, just kind of knowing how our family members act on a continuous basis, if you notice something different, just pulling them aside to have that conversation of like, hey, you know, I noticed lately that you've been really quiet at dinner. Um, you know, let's, do you want to talk about it? Or do you want to tell yeah. me how you're feeling? Or what's been going on that, that makes you a little bit quieter? Um, so again, it's all about just like, thinking about how you want to frame that question so you don't alienate them and doing it in a way that that gives them the privacy um, and comfortability to share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Um, I feel yeah. like that's the biggest thing of like, we never, like, especially with mental health, it's harder to see it. Like I, I was just having a conversation with one of my good friends who I've known for years now. And it was one of those, I don't think they knew exactly what, what I did for a living. So we were kind of talking about that and he, and they were like, oh, that's really cool that you guys do that. And I didn't know like May is mental health month. And, um, that just kind of like got the conversation going and, you know, to have them then feel like to open up and go, oh, like I, you know, I've just recently been diagnosed and I've been struggling with all of this. And, uh, you know, for me to share as well, like my own diagnosis with him and, and for us both to be like, I had no idea we both had similar things going on, but yet we never spoke about it or like, we never had the inkling. So it's, it, you know, that kind of like spurred was like, wow, like I have someone who is kind of going through the same thing as me or has that, that touch point where it allowed me to open up and be like, Hey, like I'm here for you. If you ever need anything, like <laughs> I'm on your same boat with you. <laughs> to do that as an adult right and like looking back with with friends who we trust but like i feel like high school for some reason is just that like there's so much going on with like internal like puberty hormones just everything going on and and there's just so much expectations for high schoolers that like and even like early college i feel like yes yeah um so within that age range there's so much going on that we feel um a lot of pressure to perform a certain way. And and so it almost becomes a performance, right? And so if we we don't stick with a norm or if we do have a, a mental illness, right? We don't wanna share it because then we're not normal or we're weird or we're different and we don't want people to start asking us those questions or to, um, you know, just kind of make- To view you differently. Yeah, I mean- exactly. Yeah. And I, and I wish like, cause that was one of the things where like, as an adult, yeah, it's a little bit easier. Um, you know, still takes a little bit of like the segue or like, are you interested in this? But yeah, as a, as a teen, like if only you knew that pretty much there is someone else in probably in the same room as you, that's going through something similar or is feeling the same way as you. I mean, we're all having those feelings. Like you aren't alone in those feelings especially yeah. in high school. I feel like we all were just trying to figure it out. I know high school is such like a, <laughs> like looking back at myself in high school, it's such like a weird fever dream where I'm just like, I really cannot believe I like made it through that because it is so like, it's just like high school is just kind of messed up and just how everyone treats each other and just like 
the expectations you have. And like, you have to go to college right after, and you have to do this and this and this. And you're like, I don't even remember. I don't even know how I did it because I would like go to school and then I would dance until like 10 o'clock at night. Then I would do my homework. I would go to sleep and I would do it again. Like, how did I do? I could not do that now. I have no idea how I did it then. And so it's just like such a weird, like fever dream to like think about when you're like looking back on it. You're like, how did I go through that? Because if I could get through that, I feel like I get through anything now. Um, but yeah. And then there's all the like, everyone's judging you in high school and you have to like deal with all of that on top of it. And yeah, the hormones and puberty, it's just, it's just a, it's a, yeah, it's crazy. High school's weird. <laughs> high school's a weird time. I honestly feel like puberty gives us some kind of like adrenaline based drug in our system at some point. Yeah. Same way, I think, oh my God, how did I do like school plus ASB plus soccer plus whatever other yeah. that I joined. And now I don't even think get out of bed at 8 a.m. Yeah, I have to start work at nine. I'm like, people say, oh, yeah, we're going to start at an 8 a.m. day today. I'm like, oh, my God, how do I do this? You've thrown off my whole routine. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, all right, you want me at eight o'clock? Well, I may not be entirely coherent. I I may not be awake. Um, But I think, how did I do it in high school? I don't understand. And on top of that, like, yeah, all the, all the struggles with like mental health that, that I had too. Um, it's just crazy. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I survived high school. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I can't believe I survived it. Yeah. And the thing, like, I mean, I don't know how it is. I mean, maybe now because we're, it, I don't know, people talk about mental health more these days, but when I was in high school, like no one ever said anything about mental health. Like mental health was never said one time, like other than the, the one time I saw my health textbook that wasn't even like really accurate of information um like it was never brought up and it's just it was so sad because afterwards I was like if I had help in high school or like if my school provided anything like that I would probably would have managed myself a little bit better too and probably wasn't so mean to my parents because I was pretty mean to them sadly but she just was a rebellious teenage years (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think all teenagers are mean to their parents. I yeah. mean to my parents also. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I always think like my mom always wanting to like hang out and talk to me and I was like, Oh no. And now I'm like texting. Why didn't you call me today, mom? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's me. It's me. Every day. Yeah, high no. school, they're like the enemy, but then after high school, they become your best friend and you're they like, do. why, really why do. are you not picking up my phone call? What mm-hmm. is wrong with you? <laughs> Yeah. Anytime my mom doesn't answer, I'm like, you're being rude right now. You're not answering me. She's like, I can't answer every single one of your calls. I'm like, sorry. I'm like, no, I am your child. (laughs) Always talk to me. Uh, But going back to that school thing, I think that's, that's so crazy because so when I did try to take my own life, I came back to school like a week late um, because I did it over the summer. And then I missed the first week of the entire first week of sophomore year of high school. And when I came back, all the teachers knew, right? That would that was a conversation that my doctors had had. I don't know how they did it. Maybe they like pulled my teachers together in a room, or <laughs> maybe they like sent them an email. I I don't know what was said um, to them, but they all knew. Um, you know, they they'd all been told like this is what happened. This is what she what she had done, and this is what you might want to look out for. You know, as she's coming back into that school arena, and only one of my teachers out of all six that I had had pulled me aside to check in if I was okay 
and to have that conversation with wow me. And, that's and I crazy yeah and I think I loved all my teachers sophomore year and, and they were all great and you know I, I could tell that maybe some of them had wanted to have a conversation but maybe didn't know how because mm -hmm. there were times where you know they would like pause or linger if they were gonna have a conversation with me but then they would move mm -hmm. on and I was like I mean, even when I was 15, I'm like, I have no idea what they were going to say right now, but I felt like they wanted to say something, yeah, but they yeah, didn't. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think that is just like, ooh, what do I say to her? How do I, how do I support her? How do I check in? Um, but just asking the question, I think is always good. Yeah. Like, hey, let's, let's talk. How are you feeling? Let's check in. Um, but yeah, only one of my teachers had, had ever stopped and been like, hey, are you okay? Like, I just want to check in and make sure you're adjusting. I know what happened. Um, let's stay after like five minutes and just catch up and make sure you're doing good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, and it was something as simple as that, as just like a five minute check-in, you know, it doesn't have to be yeah. a lengthy conversation or an in-depth conversation. Um, but even just like a quick, let's for five minutes, talk about where you are in your mental health mm -hmm. journey right now would have been yeah. helpful. But yeah, it's, it's just that there is not that conversation that happens in high schools. And so even the teachers, a lot of times just don't get that training or understanding. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that they don't want to have that conversation. It's that, that maybe they don't know how. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think I wish that, and I think there's hope, like it's becoming more of a norm. And I think there are a lot of um, faculty that are, are, you know, taking these classes to learn how to have that conversation. Cause it's, a, it's scary. Um, I think on, on both sides, you know, whether you're the one giving, you know, having it and initiating it and the one in it, cause you know, you may feel, yeah, I don't really want to talk about this. Say, so, you know, you're, you're a teacher. I don't, don't want to say mm -hmm. this, but the, you know, those teachers are there for you and they're looking out for you. Um, I feel like all the ones that stick out to me are ones that, you know, personally got to know me and, and really yeah. tried to make that high school experience better by, you know, taking the time, but, you know, I, I, I'm glad that it looks like it's getting better with teachers knowing how to have that. Cause that's the hardest part is they probably did, but you know, yeah. how do you start that conversation? I think, yeah. Yeah. you know, my school was one where we didn't, that was like the, we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about us struggling, you know, all of us are on our a game at all times. No one is, is, uh, doing bad. And if the, you know, you're a student that even just needed extra time on a test. I mean, we don't discuss that. You go to a separate room, you take your stuff yes. before the class is even done and you're gone. And, and so we don't ever address that elephant in the room that like, oh, they need extra help because they take, they need to be more isolated during a test. They're easily distracted. Mm -hmm. uh, no, we don't, we don't share about any of that. And it's like, that's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, Mm -hmm. Why did we have to fill yeah. that with so much, uh, you know, shame or keep it quiet, even as something yeah. as simple as that? I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, when I teach college, right, I like actively tell my students, hey, if we do an in-class test, make sure that, that that I know that you need extra time. Right. Because mm -hmm. I'm more than happy to give you extra time. And And now there's so many more measures in college, I feel like, that are more aware of like mental health issues right yeah. like the, like my campus student disability services has so many options for students mm -hmm. um which is awesome but i almost wish that would have been more normalized in high school you yeah know? yes i mean i think about students who maybe have adhd and mm -hmm. have difficulty focusing 
how are you supposed to take a test in, you know, a 45 minute period as if right. you're normal when in reality you do have a difficulty and just like, right. you know, we make exceptions for a student who can't physically access the test. We should also have those measures in place for students who can't mentally access the test. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I do. I do appreciate some moments of like of college over high school where I, you know, I think high school, there was a lot of that facade of like, we all keep everything hush. We just keep our, we bottle up our issues and our problems. Don't express <laughs> yeah. it. Don't That's let where it, it starts. I guess just everyone starts bottling up in, in high school. <laughs> we were very much the let it go song Con- conceal. Don't feel just get through it. But then in college, I mean, that was probably the first, that was the first time I went to counseling and got it through my campus and realized like, oh my gosh, like therapy exists. What's up? How are you guys doing? And, and help work through things that I was going through at the time. Cause I was not adjusting to, you know, leaving my family completely and, you know, a whole bunch of other hooplas, but you know, it, it was great to have someone there to work through it. And then I felt comfortable. Cause I was like on my campus where that was my, my safe place at the time. And, you know, it's glad that they have those, those resources. Like I wish that's where I wish it started in high school. Cause God, we need it so bad in high school, but Mm -hmm. at least colleges are, are doing more for it where I was just talking to a student at Santa Ana college. And I mean, they offer like 10 free counseling sessions and yeah, which is um, more than I got, I got like two and they were like, cool, (laughs) you can do it in two. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, at least uh, it's becoming more of a norm and, and no, like more and more students are aware, like, oh, this is a thing where I feel like when I went, I don't think anyone knew that we had counseling services. It was a very like, oh, we do that here. Oh, okay. Yeah. But same, same with me when I went to school, it wasn't as known, but now on the other side, as like a professor, I'm like, constantly throwing like services like did you know you get all this free stuff <laughs> like take advantage because you're never yeah. gonna get anything free ever again yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> your, your tuition pays for it so it's not really free it's just like yes yeah. we're discounted when you yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah yeah true you pay for it in a way but you know at least yeah. at the moment it's not it feels free it feels, it feels free, free. <laughs> you yeah. don't have to put your card down right when you go there so that's nice <laughs> All you have to do is show your student ID. You're good. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just it's crazy because now I'll push and 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 a lot of my students didn't even don't even know still right that they're because I think my campus does like two or three free sessions also Santa Ana College. Wow, shout out to them. That's awesome. Ten right. is amazing. Um, she said ten. Push- my mind was blown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> any person from any school listening, start pushing for ten at all. Yes. Your yeah. 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 But yeah, so my campus also does two. Um, and I always push like, you know, in the two sessions, you're not going to get cured of anything, you know, and and you may not even be diagnosed with anything if you feel like you do have something that needs to be diagnosed. But what you can do is just kind of get that like fear out about what exactly therapy is, because that's the thing. And, and even when you push for it for a loved one, right, kind of taking it back to our topic, Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to loved one, and you're encouraging them to, to do that, like professional help. Um, a lot of times, it, again, it's just that fear of like, well, what is someone going to say? What are, I mean, are they going to put me on medication right away? What mm-hmm. are they going to say? I'm broken. Like, what are they going to tell me? And usually it's just someone who's unbiased and, and is willing to have a conversation and hear you out. Um, and sometimes that can be the most 
amazing thing in the world. Yeah. Like as a family member, as a friend, like you do or you should be aware of the potential triggering effect that you have. And it's mm -hmm. and it, again, it has nothing to do with you. Right. Yeah. Like even just like if I used you and Amanda as an example, Brianne, you know, mm -hmm. it's not that Amanda might ne see you as a negative trigger, but it's just because of the close bond that you have. Um, there's all these like, I guess, like colored lenses over your relationship, yeah. right? Which could impact how the conversation goes. And, you know, yeah, you might have a conversation with Amanda and she'll say one thing and you think, yeah, but, you know, I, I really wish you would look at this unbiased point of view. And, right. you know, and it's just harder to have these conversations with family and friends sometimes. So having that, like, that person on the warm line or, or having like a therapist can can just be helpful because they're not going to give you the answer that your family member or friend might you know they yeah, might yeah, yeah. Completely different um which is always helpful to kind of just have that extra opinion mm -hmm. oh yeah Sometimes. just like the fix it thing like I, again when people would tell me oh yeah all you need to do is this this and this it was like i know i know that i need to do that it's just yeah it's harder to actually do so just right just sit with me until i figure out how to do it like I'm yes not, I'm not ready to do it so yeah i think it's That's good like, or go ahead go ahead oh it's like i think it's good too to like see that there are people that are outside of your immediate circle that are there to be a support for you um and so even, I know we talk a lot about, you know, supporting our loved ones and, you know, having that very strong support system within our families or our friends, you know, sometimes that's not always the case for everyone, but, you know, as we're saying, like we have had teachers that have been huge supports for us that have reached out. We've had, you know, therapists and counselors that have reached out and been that support system and that person to turn to. So you know, as we're going through this conversation, like it doesn't have to be that immediate family yeah. member or that immediate friend. I mean, yeah. your support system looks very different and it changes as, as we get older. I think mm -hmm. as we're all kind of seeing through this conversation is it, it looks different and it morphs and it changes, but you know, your support system grows, which is, which is great yeah. to see. It's yeah. all, I would like just to add on to that. Um, if it's not like maybe you're friends or family like it could also if you're if you're in school or if you're in college like it could be just members if you're a part of a club or like you know just even like let's say you even have a roommate that like you might you met that like that year who doesn't really know you that well like maybe it's that random you know roommate you have or you know it's just yeah because sometimes people aren't they don't have maybe the best family style or family life going on or they might not have the greatest friends you know and so it doesn't always have to be just like your people you talk to every single day it can definitely be just like those random like people that pop up in your life when you like it's very unexpected but it's also very needed too oh yeah for me the most unexpected one was coworkers. Mm. that was a, a crazy support system that I never really expected to have uh yeah. but as I went through, like when I was going to college and I realized, oh, I probably need a job. <laughs> so then I, I went and I started like interacting with the same people day in and day out. And the thing is, is when you're working with people, you are working through like sometimes very negative experiences and it brings you together yeah. in a way where I'm like, wow, we just went through this, you know, difficult situation together. And now because of it and because of the way that that we interacted together during that difficult situation, I now feel a little bit of trust 
with you. Yeah. You yeah, need yeah, to build yeah. those like relationships of trust with them. And so, yeah, for me, coworkers was one where I was like, wow, I never expected to have such a close bond with, with someone that I was like folding linen. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, here we are. Yeah. When you're in the trenches with someone, man, they, they become your yeah. best friend. <laughs> we kind of ask this to everyone, but Shivani, what is your favorite form of self-care too? Yeah. Ooh, that's hard. I, I have a question like, I have an answer every day that's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say probably like eating my favorite junk food, like mm, binge food yeah. and binging Netflix. Yeah. Netflix, like my favorite. And usually it's something that I've already seen. So it's like my go-to, like the office, yeah. <laughs> psych, like those comedy shows. So something lighthearted with good food. Yeah. That's I would agree awesome. with that. That's like me almost every night. <laughs> I try to do that every night. That's self-care. That's yeah. positive self-care practices, Brianne, doing self-care. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's what I like I wish I could do that every night, but <laughs> it's probably not the healthiest, but I'm just like, ah, oh, I'll do it anyway. Yeah. Love that. Resource wise, I mean, for, since we're going back to how can loved ones help and support, um, you know, support someone who could be going through things. I think as we were saying, it's always good to kind of know what resources are going on, um, or what is available. Uh, and even if you don't a hundred percent, I think just, you know, being there to help kind of guide that or look into stuff is always helpful. Um, you know, one of our biggest resources that we have is our OC warm line. Uh, that is a emotional support line. So if you ever do want someone to have that listening ear, just to kind of bounce stuff off of, um, if you're curious about what resources are in the area, uh, that's, that's a good one to, to contact. Um, that's when we stated in the beginning, but we'll say the number again, it's, uh, 714-991-6412. Uh, we'll also have this in the show notes. Uh, also each week, in case you aren't aware, we do have in our show notes, a list of resources. So in case you're ever wondering on any of these episodes, you can find links to our warm line, other programs that we offer, um, and a lot more, which this one will kind of dive into a little bit deeper of, of different ones. I think another really good one is the DD Hirsch, um, suicide prevention hotline. So that is a great one. If you or a loved one is experiencing a crisis and in a crisis and need to, um, you know, have someone to talk to, to guide you through it. Um, that's, that's a really helpful one to call, um, toll free. It's that one is available across the United States. Um, right. I'm not making that up. That is, <laughs> that is a national hotline yes. <laughs> now that I'm like, Ooh, wait, was that, um, so yeah, national hotline. Oh yeah. It's in the title. Cause you know, it's four <laughs> o'clock and I'm tired, <laughs> um, but it's available 24 hours. Um, it's available in a lot of different languages as well. So that language barrier does not have to be you know, a, a thing. I think they also have a line to help if um, they're hearing impaired. So they have a chat service. So you can even chat on there as well. Uh, that number is 800-273-8255. Um, we'll also link that one down below. Um, yeah. I think, oh, also we wanted to share the Trevor Project because they do have a helpline as well. Um, the Trevor Project is... The Trevor Project is specifically for LGBTQ plus. 
Um, it's awesome because they do have a text line as well. So um, you can text them and, and talk and talk to a counselor that way. And I think that, so that number is 741-741, easy. And then if you wanna call them, that's 866-488-7386. And so they do work specifically with that population, right? LGBTQ plus, and, and they have resources specifically for that population um, in case you're struggling and, and want those kind of resources. A lot of these two, like I know with Dee Dee Hirsch, they have a link towards um, if you're nervous, you're going to get someone who's just not going to understand you. Um, a lot of these have counselors or that peer mentorship that is close to your age. Um, so they'll have one specifically for teens. I think the Trevor Project does one for youth. Um, and and then uh, Dee Dee Hirsch, you can find a teen specific hotline support as well. So, you know, you know, you're getting someone who does understand they do relate to you. Um, and you can kind of take your, your pick on, on both of those. They give you options. We like options. Yes. All the resources. Yes. All the resources resources are good, but you can always find, um, current I'm pointing because I, in my head, this is what I do during (laughs) our presentations. They're right here. Um, but there, uh, you can find, um, the resources for all of these and click quick links, um, right in our show notes. So definitely check them out and see what we have going on. Yeah. And thank you listeners for joining us today. And thank you so much, Shivani, for coming on, sharing your story and just having this conversation. Um, if you like the show and want to help support us, please like, and subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Also leave us a review and rate the show. Another easy way to support us is to share the show with your friends and family that might like it as well. And if you want to connect with us over social media, um, you can find us. Our Instagram is NAMI underscore OC. TikTok is NAMI underscore OC. Facebook is NAMI Orange County. And you can also email us at anxietysucks at NAMIOC.org. Thank you. If you like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find the show and helps us to share our message of mental wellness to people in our community. NAMI OCD Classified Anxiety Survival Guide is for informational and educational and or entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical or psychiatric advice, diagnoses, nor treatment. NAMI OCD Classified Anxiety Survival Guide is funded by the Orange County Healthcare Agency and Behavioral Health Services. And if you want to hear more of NAMI OCD Classified Anxiety Survival Guide, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app.